We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where you learn how to be a leader and not just a manager of a to-do list. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. I just want to take a minute and remind you to check out ConradChallenge.org and look at the kinds of things you can do to support students. The Conrad Challenge is really about facilitating 21st century skills of creativity, collaboration, critical thinking, communication. So go and check that out at conradchallenge.org. And if you missed my interview with Nancy Conrad, go check that out as well at transformativeprinciple.org slash Nancy Conrad. Hi, I'm Chris Nessie from the House of EdTech podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual host. And make sure to check out all the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. And now the learning begins in three, two, one. Welcome to Transformative Principle. This is episode 259, last one of the year. Can you believe that? It's already the end of 2018, and in just a couple days, we start 2019. I hope that 2018 has been fantastic for you, and I hope that 2019 will be even better for you. I just want you to know that I appreciate you listening. If I am accurate, I think we're going to break 400,000 downloads for my podcast with this episode right here, and that is amazing. So I just want to say thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing this. Thank you for being a part of Transformative Principle. It is an honor to do these interviews and talk with these amazing leaders each week. And I hope that you enjoyed this interview with Joel. We're going to talk about a crisis that he faced and how he overcame it and how he uh, used the mastermind to help him do that. And being in the mastermind is a great way to help you reach your goals and make your 2019 the best it can be. So if you've been thinking about it, Joel's got some great ideas. Go to transformativeprinciple.org slash mastermind 
and schedule a call with me and we can chat more about that. Thank you so much for being part of Transformative Principle. Here's my interview with Joel Lavin. I do want to change gears a little bit and talk about some of the uh, challenges that you have faced. And specifically, I think it relates to what we were talking about with with culture. But I want to talk about the incident with the uh, school posters and the immigrants welcome sign that was taken down and the brouhaha that happened from that. I think it's far enough in the past that it's okay to talk about now, I hope. And if not, then just say no and we'll cut this out and <laughs> move on. But but okay. I was able to see that up close and personal because we were in the mastermind together. And so we were able to talk through a lot of that. But the way that I feel like you guys handled that was really effective and well done. So can you just give a little bit of the backstory, and then we'll kind of dissect how you responded to that crisis? Sure, sure. Well, let's just say I probably have made some mistakes, <laughs> you know, in judgment. I think that especially after the November 2016 election, uh, there was a lot of anxiety in our school, in our state, in the district, you could probably say in the nation. And um, there definitely was a palpable feeling of change in how teachers felt that they needed to protect their students. And I think a lot of our teachers acted out of a sense of, hey, I want to make sure that my students feel safe in this classroom and in this space. And I uh, also want to make sure that my families that come and visit our classroom also feel safe in this space. And there were teachers that made decisions to put up uh, flyers in the new building uh, which we established in uh, September 2017. And those flyers were welcome signs um, that were in Spanish and that were in English. And they didn't just say immigrants welcome here. They, they were more specific and they were actually rather edgy. Um, and the reason I say edgy is because I think that mattered in the context of the larger situation. And the comments were strong and were difficult for certain members of the community to swallow as something that would be up in a school. And because of that, we're a public school, right? Public is the key word, right? And uh, our school was still being touched up and and kind of finalized as, as a building. And so there were many people that were construction workers and people involved in, uh, you know, finishing the school that were in the building, especially over winter break. And they actually were taking offense to these posters. And some of the people that were in the school during the winter break were upset about it. They took photos of them. They posted them on social media and they complained to the school board about the posters and they were very upset. And some of them actually tore down the posters, which was very upsetting for the staff uh, because they felt violated and for the whole community. And many people were very upset within the school within the district, within the city, and it even got, you know, to a national level to some extent on both sides of people saying, why is this happening in a school? Why are they putting up this stuff? And then other people saying, hey, you know, we need to protect our students. Why isn't the school district doing more? So I was in the middle of all of that, of course, and I was trying to help everybody, like, figure things out. And um, I wanted to uh, make sure that my staff felt supported. Ultimately, we were not putting up the posters right away, but eventually um, the district decided to allow us to put the posters up. 
Uh, however, as a community, as a, as a staff, there was a group of us that are on our equity committee that made a decision to actually take the posters down. But in the meantime, there was all this social media and news and things going on on the outside. And there was a response from a parent that wrote a beautiful letter to the editor explaining um, what she felt was important, you know, as far as values in the school and how we need to make a safe space for our school and for, you know, for our students. And that it's a safe environment that we need to have sanctuary or, or support for these students. Uh, and then we even had, you know, people on the other side that were writing that it was wrong that we even had the posters up in the first place. So all of these debates were going on. And in the meantime, I was doing my best to make sure that staff felt supported. I brought in uh, people that uh, provided emotional support for them, and they were experts in you know things like trauma or culturally responsive education or dealing with crises like this. I uh, worked closely with the teachers to decide to create a space that we call a racism-free zone. And there's a woman named Bahati Ansari, who I worked with, who actually established this program, the Racism-Free Zone, in the 80s at a school in Eugene. She now lives in New Mexico, and she is an amazing individual, has a deep, long past in our community. But she gave me this idea that, hey, we need to establish this space that feels safe for our kids and our community. And so we worked with the staff, we went through some trainings with her, and we established this declaración that we have up on our school uh, everywhere, and we recite in our assemblies that we have every Friday morning. And we also do lessons um, to help students understand each other and understand across difference. And, and um, racism is something that we decided to discuss head on and to make sure that our students, our staff, our parents, our family members all understood um, that this is a space that we want to make a safe space. And if someone comes in to our school and they check in in the building, they actually see the declaración, declaration, uh, which we have up and they can read it in Spanish or they can read it in English. Um, and they have to before they sign in. Uh, so we did things like that so that people could see what our stance was as a school and that we wanted to make this space a safe space. And that's extremely uh, important to us that students can talk about uh, differences in each other and, and that the immigrant experience is one that's valued in our school. One other little thing uh, that's a snippet to that, after uh, we took the posters down, or after the, the, the construction workers took them down and you know we had the little debate with the, the district and everything, the students just overflowed with making posters. So there were posters all over the school, you know, all of the windows were plastered with posters um, and they were just amazing, beautiful, beautiful pictures that people just absolutely love seeing. And we had other schools come and say, hey, we support you. And they brought in posters. We had people write letters to us and send us emails. So the outpouring of support for our students and for our teachers was just beautiful and, and so loving and, and supportive. and it made us a stronger school. It made us a, uh, an amazing space uh, to, to live and, and work in. And, and I'm proud of all the work that our staff did to establish it and to maintain it. Yeah. And, and here's the key where you spoke about that, bringing the school teachers, students, parents, everybody together after this incident happened, which I find really amazing because Typically, we build those bonds through hardship. We do our best learning through 
difficult situations or failures or whatever. And, and so now your school is much stronger because of that. The other interesting piece is the idea that you decided to not put the posters up after discussing it with the equity committee. And I think that that is a really interesting piece as well, because one of the challenges that we face when we attempt to be inclusive is that by trying to be inclusive, we are sometimes exclusive. And that's something that you, I've heard you talk about many, many times that you want to be inclusive of all people and not just say, oh, only these people that happen to agree with me. And I think that that is a really important piece. So for example, we have a LGBTQ plus group at my school that wants to do advocacy and talk about, you know, making sure those kids feel safe and all that kind of stuff. And as I've had discussions with them, much of what they're doing is saying, we want these kids who identify this way to be included. And, you know, I asked them, who are you trying to, like, who are you trying to talk to? And they say, well, we want all kids. And I'm like, okay, well, what about those kids that don't identify this way or aren't even old enough to start feeling that way? How are you going to get them to be accepting when they don't even know what any of these letters stand for? And maybe their parents don't want them to know what those stand for just yet. And so, you know, they're trying to navigate through this difficult thing of being inclusive, but not exclusive. And so can you just talk a little bit about some of the processes that that you went through and how you try to focus on that being inclusive, not exclusive? Um, Yeah. Uh, So a couple of things that I guess I think are important to think about when we're talking about like we have an equity committee at our school and that that school meets to talk about issues that are going on in the building and things that they want to improve. Uh, They want staff to feel comfortable talking to each other. They want, and you know, sometimes there are complex issues. And when you have native Spanish speakers and native English speakers that have learned Spanish, there's cultural differences. And so we talk about things like that. We talk about how those, those staff members need to negotiate and understand the space that they work in and that they, they do the work uh, to help support the students and how that is the ultimate goal. And there's things that we have to do to protect students. And there's, uh, for example, our district had to be very careful about how we approached supporting students that are documented or undocumented in our district. And they created very specific policies to support all students in our district. And they made sure that when they wrote policies that it included all students and that there are certain things that we need to do that are designed to uh, support students that are undocumented and also protect their rights. And those are things that we push forward with and that we that we built into our program uh, because they do have rights that we need to make sure that we're following that are federal law. And uh, the reason I bring up those policies is that one of the things that our superintendent, Gustavo Balderas, stated is that he wants all students to feel safe in our school. And so when we had the controversy with our uh, building, he wanted to make sure that everyone understood that all students needed to feel safe in the space. And he emphasized that word all. And I think that that's something that our equity committee tries to do is to try and help students all understand uh, the differences that we have and that we explore those. And uh, I think that parents 
sometimes are a little bit uneasy about certain things that we discuss. However, they also want their students to be exposed to this, I guess I would call it multicultural experience as well. So I think part of it is an educational piece that we have to put in place of here's the things that we cover in our school. And these are the things that we want students to value and understand. And our staff have to be very much on the same page about how they explore that. And then at the same time, we have to make sure that as the students put things in place uh, with, you know, things that they value, like that they have things that they explore together. For example, we have something that's called a social justice uh, club and that group meets and they pick the topics. They study the things that they want to learn about. And then they ask the teacher to help them discover what those values are. And they look at it, they, they change things they want to study. Um, and then they explore further how they want to act on it and things that they might want to do. So we've got student voice, uh, we've got teachers interacting with each other uh, and helping them build positive dynamic and relationships across culture. And then we have uh, a superintendent that values that we make sure all students feel welcome and accepted. And, and you know, when you have that high level leadership saying, this is a space that we want everyone to feel welcome, then that sets a different uh, perspective in place, I believe. Yeah, definitely. So the, the other thing that I want to talk to you about is the idea of how the mastermind has helped you specifically and how it differs from like a regular PLN on Twitter or Voxer or something like that. Can you just give a little bit of insight into somebody who's listening right now who's, who hears me say on every podcast, join the mastermind, what, what would you say to them? Well, that's funny. I actually, you know, run with someone on Thursday mornings before I go, uh, you know, meet up with you on the mastermind. And uh, he listens to your podcast. And um, he is always, you know, saying, Oh, yeah, you know, repeating your byline about, are you feeling isolated? Or, you know, whatever that 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 little phrase line is that you use. Um, And he teases me about it that like, I, you know, I'm with you now and I'm, I'm part of the mastermind, but really it has been amazing. And the value that I've had from it has been so, I, I can't even measure how much it's helped me. And I say that because I've actually built true relationships with people that are thousands of miles away and I can talk with them and bounce ideas behind, you know, behind the scenes in a way that I never would have had a chance to do before. And that's helped me so much when we work in districts, if there are a large district, small district, it's really easy to become isolated just within that district itself because the district has the priorities that it has that they want to accomplish. And so when you work with people that are from all these different districts um, that are doing different things, or maybe even a charter school or you know some homeschooling environment or, or virtual school, then you learn so many more things about how public education works and how private education works even. And, and that's been amazingly important to me is that um, I feel like since I started in Mastermind, uh, I think it was October 2017, I've been able to build so much of a greater perspective on what education is like. I mean, I've, you know, read, you know, lots of blogs and, you know, I try and uh, join Twitter chats and do lots of different things. And those are valuable to me. I, you know, really enjoy seeing people and building their relationships with people. And the video does that more than any of these other social media platforms. And because we use Zoom and we talk and 
we can connect in that highly visual way, then we don't disconnect from each other as much in between the sessions. And there's more enrollment, as you use uh, the Seth Godin term, in how we connect with each other. Uh, We are still boxing, or maybe we're following each other on Twitter, and we see what each other are doing, and we know what's behind why we're doing those things, because we have so much of a deeper relationship within that mastermind. And that's incredibly powerful because we, we feel like we have these people that we can talk to and have no, well, they have a little context of what our world is like, but they're not connected to the school district in the same way. And they can give us a more uh, objective perspective of, Hey, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? And they're not stuck in what uh, a superintendent's priorities are or, or anyone else's priorities. They're just helping you think through a problem and using their brain uh, without other added value. And that's, that's beautiful. Yeah. And for the situation that we were just talking about with the welcome signs, what I remember from that time was the support that we had for you and knowing who you were and what you stood for and being able to, you would say, here's the approach that we're thinking. And then we would give our commentary and then you got to make your own decision with your people there in Eugene. And I feel like it made you more confident in going forward with those issues that you had people who were just seeing it from the outside and giving you feedback on on those things that you were doing. Do you have any perspective on that in dealing with this specific crisis we were talking about? Sure. Uh, yeah, I guess what I would say about that is um, I think that when I talk to each one of the individuals about the crisis, I got that perspective. I got very honest feedback about, first of all, you know, the, why were these posters up? And like, you know, I was able to talk to people that were able to give me kind of pushback of uh, more honest feedback and not just like hate mail or, (laughs) you know, stuff that feels like you're just getting attacked, which I did get some of that stuff too. But I think that it was valuable to hear different perspectives and to have a group that was there ready to you know, discuss those things with me and know that they would push back on me of why I was going to do this or why I was going to do that, but that they weren't, you know, deeply invested in why I would make this decision or that decision. They, of course, cared for me and wanted to do best for me uh, in how I handled things and they wanted to support me, but they also wanted me to be able to think through all of the pieces and the decisions that I made all along the way. And that was so important because without it, I wouldn't have felt like I was able to connect as well because everyone that I was consulting with on the ground in Eugene were either, you know, similar in their thinking as myself or uh, were worried about, you know, the outside pressures um, because they were, you know, senior administration that were very concerned about how it was going to damage the school. And of course, my mastermind was worried about how it might damage the school, but I wanted people to be able to consult with that, you know, we're just not in the game, no skin in the game, I guess. Um, And that really is so, so important. Yeah, I really enjoyed that time because it was a, it was a big deal. And I remember our Voxer group was just blowing up at that time. And (laughs) there was a lot of discussion back and forth. And it was, it was really good because it, the other thing for us is that it made us think, how would we respond in this situation? Which I think anytime you can go through that kind of role play, it makes it you a little bit better. And then we're able to think like, what am I doing at my school to make sure that everybody 
does feel included. And that's, that's what I remember from those conversations is that feeling of what are we doing to make sure that all families and students and teachers are included in our school. And, and I know from your experience, I made some changes at my school that were just little, but I think they sent the right message that we do need to be inclusive and, and help people be included in what, what we're doing at the school. So, you know, I just, I've learned a ton from you and I know the other members of the mastermind have as well. So if you're listening and what Joel said didn't convince you, I, I don't know what will. <laughs> so so you can get more information about that at transformativeprincipal.org slash mastermind. And Joel, the last question I ask everybody is, what is one thing a principal can do this week to be a transformative principal like you? I would say get in a lot of steps in your school. That's something I pride myself in is that I try and get into almost every classroom I can every school day and uh, you know, look at that Fitbit or whatever it is that you use. And keep track and be like, okay, if I don't have this amount of steps in my building today, I know that I haven't seen enough faces, I haven't smiled enough people, and I haven't, uh, you know, made that many more people's day. Um, and I think it's so important to be able to connect with all of your staff members as often as you can. If you feel like you're missing uh, something in um, a relationship and you feel like you haven't talked to someone in a while that you go out of your way to walk over there and and to talk to that person. And um, that is what builds the cohesiveness of a school and makes everyone feel like their coherence in that space is all going in the right direction. And um, a school leader builds the culture in their school and they do it with a lot of steps. (laughs) That's great. Uh, Joel, how do people get in touch with you and learn more about you? Well, I am on Twitter at Joel Lavin. That's two L's in the middle there. And uh, you can find me on Boxer. You can also reach me at my school email, which is just Lavin, that's L-A-B-I-N at 4j.lane.edu. I'd be happy to talk with you, share any resources that I have, especially uh, around dual language. Um, One really important resource, if you're really interested in starting a dual language school, I highly recommend that you look at the dual language principles education. And that's a book uh, that's written by uh, Catherine Lindholm Leary and uh, another uh, group of other authors that are researchers in the dual language field. It is like the book that everyone needs to go through deeply um, before they establish a dual language school. And it is the book that you use after you've run a dual language program for a while and you want to see if you're really going the right direction. Great. We will have a link to that in the show notes at uh, transformativeprincipal.org. Joel, thank you so much, as always, for your time. You are amazing. Thank you so much, Jeff. Really enjoyed this podcast today. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to Transformative Principle. I enjoyed that interview with Joel Lavin. It was a lot of fun, and I really enjoyed talking with him, as I do every week. So thank you so much for listening. Just a quick reminder, transformativeprincipal.org slash mastermind. Would love to have you join us. Thank you so much, and have a wonderful new year. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. 
That's IXL.com slash BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE.